Before we begin, I'd like to thank everyone for all the support you've shown me since Worldwide Crush was released this summer. The lovely messages, the well wishes, the online reviews you've posted, the pictures you're sending me of you reading my book, mostly at the beach. All of it has contributed to the success of this book and has made me feel so cared for during this really intense and joyful, but sometimes intimidating time. And because you asked, we are happy to announce that the PCPS will finally be hosting a Worldwide Crush book club. I'm getting so many questions and comments from people, and it's clear that you all have a lot of feelings about this story. Maybe because Millie is all of us. I don't know, just saying. Um, this will be a virtual get-together where readers can share their thoughts, and the author, hello me, will be right there to answer all of your questions. If you're not a book club person and you'd like to just come and listen, that is fine too. The PCPS Worldwide Crush Book Club is free for our Patreon members and just $10 for everyone else. You'll find a link to sign up in our newsletter and in our link tree on Instagram. The date is Tuesday, November 14th, so mark your calendars. Thank you again for all of your support and please enjoy the show. The video of Eric Estrada as Ponch, John Poncherello from <laughs> Chips, singing and dancing his version of Making It. She said, I'm watching it right now. It's like she was getting an infusion of serotonin uh -huh. from mm -hmm. watching Eric Estrada sing Making It. Hello world, there's a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. A whole lot of loving is what we'll be bringing. We'll make you happy. Welcome to the Pop Culture Preservation Society, the podcast for people born in the big wheel generation whose socks went all the way up to their knees. <laughs> we believe our Gen X childhoods gave us unforgettable songs, stories, characters, and images. And if we don't talk about them, they'll disappear like Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition. And today, we'll be saving the discovery that our childhood memories might be just what the doctor ordered in a discussion of how nostalgia has helped so many of our listeners through difficult times, an idea that these three pop culture preservationists have witnessed firsthand thanks to your many heartfelt messages. I'm Carolyn. I'm Kristen. And I'm Michelle. And we are your pop culture therapists. I mean, preservationists. <laughs> I love it. It's like when I said, and I'm already the loser. <laughs> I love that. That's just what the doctor ordered. That's so cute. When we started this podcast several years ago, our goal was not a serious one. First and foremost, we wanted to entertain, and we wanted to do that by bringing funny, unexpected references to things that people once held dear, like Romper Stompers and Dr. Shrinker and the 64 box of Crayola crayons with the sharpener in the back. It would be funny because it was long forgotten, and if we were lucky, we'd grab a little bit of the joy that came with knowing you could sharpen your crayons without even leaving your desk. It was that <laughs> simple. But then, you guys, something surprising happened. Almost immediately, we started getting emails and DMs from people who shared with us that they had found us at a very important time. We had no idea the impact that this little podcast adventure would have on so many. I mean, remember you guys when I floated the idea of the podcast and I said, I don't even care if anyone listens. It's just fun to relive these memories, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just I fun know. to talk about, like you just said, Dr. Yeah. Shrinker and our crayons. Mm -hmm. But it turns out people did listen, and the joy and the meaning the three of us were discovering for ourselves meant something to lots of others as well. Yeah. It was just amazing. The fact that we started this podcast at the height of the pandemic also played a role. It wasn't necessarily what people named in their messages, but the isolation was clear and may have contributed a little bit to why we found an audience so quickly. People were looking for something to help them feel more connected to the outside world in a meaningful way. And ironically, it turns out that Love Boat could do that. <laughs> Who knew? And those emails and DMs, you guys, never stopped. Long after we've all gotten our vaccines and left the house to see each other again, we continue to hear from people who confess that our episodes about roller skating and Battle of the Network stars made it easier to get through some shit sandwich that landed on their plate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, for instance, here's a message we got recently from a new patron of ours named Christina. She said, 
I lost my dad this past winter and spent the spring cleaning out and selling my childhood home, so I was already in a nostalgic mood when I discovered your podcast. I wasn't expecting that you would make me laugh harder than I have in months. Thank you for replacing my tough memories of the past year with warm recollections of growing up loved in the 70s and 80s. Truly, every episode is like a hug to my Gen X heart. Your memories of things like the roller rink, schoolhouse rock, and summer road trips are exactly what the child inside of me needs right now. <gasps> oh, God, Chris, don't no, no. Kleenex, Andy. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? She's literally getting Kleenex out. Such a tough I'm, time, I have the Christina. image. Yeah. And first yes. of all, Christina, big hugs to you with everything mm-hmm. you're going through right now. And we feel so humbled and... And grateful that we could provide some sort of, um, some sort of light during this really dark time for you. Um, but you know what? The interesting thing to me is that, but she has all those memories inside her. Yeah. We, we're not mm-hmm. going to sit here and toot our horns and say it's because of us. It took us to maybe have, help her remember those, the light that to those show memories her the provide. Mm-hmm. But yes. she's always mm-hmm. had them inside of her. And the greatest thing about yeah. this is that she always will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now she knows she can turn to them, right? Mm-hmm. She has a place to go. I have, when she, when she talks about sitting in the attic and going through things, that is like straight out of a Hallmark movie, right? Mm-hmm. That is Hallmark yeah. movie come to life. And it is the truth for so many people our age. She is not alone. No, This is the exact scenario that so many people who are listening to us are going through. We're losing our parents. Our children are leaving home. But there's just a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's exactly mm-hmm. what our um, listener MP123 said. She commented that um, what she does know is that our podcast saw her through some tough times over the last three years. She said, being in the sandwich generation of caring for and losing my parents to seeing my only child off to college all during a pandemic, your podcasts and convos were a little welcome warm hug and a brief respite of fun childhood memories. Thank you, ladies. Mm. I'm blowing my nose again. I know. know. Gosh. Well, and I think it actually, uh, I know this sounds backward, but I think the hardship that we're hearing about from people is something that bonds us together because, like I said before, so many of these hardships are similar. There's a thread that runs through all of us that are this age. And when MP123 referenced the sandwich generation, I mean, no joke. Right? Right? Yeah. We talk a lot about how the 50s are very liberating for us, and that is true, but it doesn't mean that we don't have things to deal with with our children. Mm -hmm. We three people here looking at each other, none of our children live at home, and yet all three of us have had some very serious things to deal with when that phone rings and you see it's your kid and you're like, oh, God, what Mm -hmm. is it? What? Mm -hmm. And everybody's got something. Or, or you're your just parent. dealing with the pain of Or, or you your see parents. that it's your parent calling. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So another email we got way back in our second season had a lot of um, the same sentiments that Christina's message had. This listener wrote to us right after we released our first Barry Manilow episode and told us um, this. Barry Manilow is such a huge part of my life growing up, I cannot even tell you. My late mother was a huge music fan, and I remember all the Barry records being in a big rotation at my house. I was able to take her to see Barry in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and it was one of my most cherished memories with her. Your episode brought all of that back for me and more, and it is just uh, so awesome. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Hugs times three. I write the songs that make the whole world sing. I write the songs of love and special things. I write the songs. This is, it's the thread. It's the thread that weaves through all of us. And it's, it can be um, a form of support just to know that other people are nodding their heads. Right. That's what it is, Kristen, because, well, but also because Barry Manilow music has always been out there. It didn't take the three of us mm-hmm. to let somebody know that. But what yeah. it took was listening and hearing somebody else talk about Barry Manilow and bring up me- memories of Barry Manilow that sparked that, hey, we're all in this together. And it's that connection. Also, yeah. I think that's mm-hmm. so therapeutic. Um, that was one of our whys too, is at the beginning, um, why do this podcast? It was for all of us to find connection in these memories. What we had no idea is that 
people would be finding connection in their grief as well, right? Yes. Even though we're mm-hmm. not grieving right now, it was like, we're talking about Barry Manilow and she's saying, oh, that it just took us talking about it to have yeah. her maybe spark a lot of these memories she had with her mother. And so many of the of the messages that we get from people are about parents because we're at a time when our parents are um, in decline or we might be taking care of them or maybe somebody has passed away. And all of that brings up a kind of grief that involves memories, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. In, a, in quite a different way. I got a message from my friend Cindy who was listening to our Purple Rain episode as she was driving home from her parents' house where her father was in decline. He had Parkinson's, and she was they were preparing for the end. And so she would have these long drives between her house and her parents' house. And on one of those drives home, she listened to our Purple Rain episode. And what she had completely forgotten was that her dad had taken her to Purple Rain. Her dad never took her to a movie. It's the only movie he ever took her to Ever. She said, my dad was one of those classic dads who worked an awful lot and he didn't play with us. He was a dad. He was bringing home the bacon. But for whatever reason, he did this with his children. Mm-hmm. He brought them to Purple Rain. And she said, she remembered how it was so uncomfortable sitting next to him in the theater because yeah. oh, it's a pretty sexy movie. Yes, There's a lot going on in that movie. <laughs> and at the same time, she had an immense amount of gratitude that he recognized that this was important to them. And so for her, that was a form of mm-hmm. processing. On the way home from this visit with her dad, where they were preparing for the end, it was a way to process her feelings. Again, we just had no idea what kind of impact this would actually have. The kind of the seriousness, I guess, of it. Yeah, um, you know, that's what yeah. strikes me. And it's not that's just what was unexpected. Yes. Yeah, right. And it's mm-hmm. not just the long emails with the long stories. It could just be um, people letting us know how these conversations get them through a difficult year. Just three quickly from Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. One, um, I. Am Allison Ann um, told us finding your podcast has been a bright spot in a less than shiny year. Thank you for mm-hmm. all that you do. Um, Elisa Max says, I'm so glad y'all were a part of my 2022. Your podcast and Instagram account definitely brought much needed cheer into a truly difficult year. And Tap Girl, um, this was on our New Year's post um, last year, said, Happy New Year, ladies. You put a smile on my face with every episode. It was much needed during a difficult year. So it's almost like these conversations just, you know what? They're just reminding people of... Um, just some fun, right? And it brings yeah, levity yeah. into yeah, some, sometimes some things that are really weighted. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know why these three that I just mentioned were having difficult years, right? Mm-hmm. But it's just that these conversations about Schoolhouse Rock or Battle of the Network Stars can bring um, can lift some can lift that weight a little bit. Yeah. yeah, I think that's really interesting that they we don't know what their struggle was. They just say it was difficult, mm-hmm. and that's all anybody needs that's to know. Right. That's, that's exactly right. That's right. Well, I liked um, a message we got from Dave Carroll, who was experiencing something that I guess a lot of us right now might be experiencing. He had to get both of his knees replaced. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. So he was um, home from work on medical leave for a while, and he said that our podcast has been the, all caps, entertainment and cultural highlight of his recovery time. Oh, my God. Thank you, Dave. Cultural highlight. So yeah, we helped him pass the time of being, um, you know, being rehabbing his knees and getting ready to go back to work. Looks like we made it. Left each other on the way to another Looks like we made it. Our next story is from a listener named Megan McCafferty. And if you are a big reader, you might be wondering, is it 
that Megan McCafferty? And the answer is yes. We'll explain that in a minute. We knew we had a loyal listener named Megan McCafferty who always had a witty and clever comment to share, but it took a while for us to put two and two together and realize that our Megan McCafferty was that Megan McCafferty. If you are a reader of young adult books, you may know Megan as the New York Times bestselling author of the Jessica Darling series, Sloppy Firsts, Second Helpings, Charmed Thirds, Forthcomings, and Perfect Fifths, which made headlines at the turn of the century, this century, um, by writing about (laughs) high school and new adulting in a new way, in a very, very real way. And there's also, you guys, a wicked scandal that you need to Google. I'm not talking about it right now. Just Google it. So it turns out that Megan McCafferty found us at a very dark time in her life, really the darkest time she had ever experienced. And here's what she had to say. My book club friend, Kristen, introduced me to PCPS in late 2021 after she heard episode number 37, Yacht or Not. She knew you were my people and she was right. So I was a new fan of the podcast when I was diagnosed with breast cancer in February 2022. And over the course of two major surgeries, followed by the challenging but expected recovery periods, along with one very unexpected hospital stay for what doctors first thought was sepsis, but then turned out to be food poisoning from a Campylobacter tainted watermelon. Yes, you heard that right. I survived cancer, only to be almost taken out by murderous fruit. You all became so much more than just a podcast to me. You became the friends in my head. And together we swooned over Barry Manilow's sweeping key changes, cheered for Christy McNichol on the monkey bars and Battle of the Network stars, and binged every after-school special available on YouTube, or maybe that last one was just me. Today I'm 50 years old and I'm performing with professional musicians for the first time in my life. And every time I step up to the mic with New Yacht City to yak out, I meant to say yacht rock out, but yacht out. I like that better. To yacht out with my new better than tits out. It's not just that version of myself up there singing those sweet, sweet Michael McDonald harmonies. It's also the six-year-old version of myself belting what a fool believes along with WOBM FM from the backseat of my parents' Chevy Nova, probably not wearing a seatbelt. Thank you so much for everything you've done. is a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and we had no idea. She's making these witty, clever comments on our on our posts, and we didn't have any idea that the per- person behind those comments was going through such a difficult time. Mm-mm. And that we were a part of helping her through that. It's just yeah. gives me the goosies. Yep. Um, so Megan has become a really good supporter to me, to well, to all of us, but to me personally, because mm-hmm. she's a published author and she's been through all of the things that I went through this summer. Um, and so she's having like emergency Zoom sessions with me because these can be really scary times when you're putting yourself out there and you're publishing your book and you're like, nobody's going to buy it. <laughs> and so she can be like the voice of reason and she can calm me down. She's been really, really helpful to me. You've heard us talk about the song Making It and how I thought I was the only person in the world who loved the show Making It and the song Making It by David Naughton. Not true. It turns out that Megan McCafferty also loved the show Making It and knows all the words to the song. So we're having this texting conversation about our children and it's a difficult day. She said, I'm queuing up the Making It video right now. <laughs> but what she means is she's queuing up the video of Eric Estrada as Ponch, John Poncherello from <laughs> Chips, dancing his version of making it. She said, I'm watching it right now. It's like she was getting an infusion of serotonin uh-huh. from mm-hmm. watching Eric Estrada. Like she knows exactly where to turn exactly. now exactly. to bring herself up. Eric Estrada. <laughs> I'm solid gold. Just to be clear, you guys, we are not tooting our own horn or patting ourselves on the back. It's about stumbling upon an idea and sharing it far and wide. That nostalgia and healing can go hand in hand. And there's hard science backing this up. Our next guest has thought about this idea a lot. Not because she wanted to, but because she had to. Jennifer Kramer Miller has a brand new memoir called Incurable Optimist about her journey with chronic illness. Jennifer is in our writing group, so we know her story well. She was diagnosed with kidney disease at the age of 22, 
just when her adult life was slated to begin. And she came to our writing group on the verge of her 50s after her fourth kidney transplant. We knew that her path had been a difficult one. What we didn't know was that the role nostalgia had played in her wellness journey was big. Mm-hmm. So we invited Jennifer to share her experience with the Pop Culture Preservation Society because we have no doubt that some of you are dealing with very similar circumstances to hers. It might even be the reason you're here. Uh, so here's Kristen in a conversation with Jennifer Kramer Miller about her new book, Incurable Optimist, and the nostalgia that wove its way into her health journey. Hey, Jennifer. Thanks so much for being with us today. Hi, I am so happy to be here. You guys, this is very exciting. Me too. It's so fun to have you here. First and foremost, tell us about Incurable Optimist, your new memoir. What is it about? How does it relate to the Pop Culture Preservation Society? Yes, of course. I would love to. So my book, Incurable Optimist, Living with Illness and Chronic Hope, is a memoir. And the story starts when I was 22. I was happy and healthy and ready to launch. I lived in an apartment with my best friend. I had a PR position and I was pretty much rearing to go. But one day I woke up with puffy eyes. I felt off. I went to a doctor like you do, but I was expecting something familiar like the flu or a virus. Instead, I was told I had kidney damage and received a diagnosis that had two words attached to it that you don't ever want to hear. And those words were progressive and incurable. So suddenly, like overnight, it seemed my life changed. And I, you know, this has been three decades plus since that happened. And in that time, I've been on dialysis three times and had four kidney transplants, which Usually it's kind of a showstopper when I say that, but I want to assure you that even with that, um, what I've managed to do is sort of manage uncertainty and hold on to hope and find joy. And that's really what my book is about. Um, So it's actually... Despite the the topic, it's actually a very uplifting book. So I do think it really relates to the PCPS Society in this way. My What I have learned is that I need to seek joy in my life. Mm-hmm. Like joy is there for the taking. And I love that that's what your podcast does. To me, you guys are really intentionally seeking joy and gathering information that's going to make people smile and have a little skip in their heart. We did have that mission of, we're just going to add a little more joy to your day. And it does find the people who need to find it, and it is helping people. And that was a huge surprise to us. That was really, really quite gratifying. Yeah. So you, um, you have done some research on how nostalgia helps us throughout our day. This is not an indulgence. This is something that we that can actually make us feel better. And there is science behind us. Can you tell us what you found about that? Yes. It's really interesting. A licensed psychologist, her name is Christine Bacho. She did a lot of research on the topic. And she found that nostalgia stabilizes us during difficult transitions in our lives. When I looked into it and I was thinking about it, I realized that after my diagnosis, I was thinking a lot about my growing up years Mm -hmm. and when I felt sort of sheltered and safe at home. And I was now in this turmoil situation where I didn't know what was going to be ahead for me. I didn't know how I was going to manage my life with this incurable condition. And I think that when we're young, if we're lucky, we're sheltered and we're cared for and we're carefree. It's Mm -hmm. sort of, we're unburdened. It's light on responsibility. And it's all about just enjoying your life without thinking so hard about enjoying your life. And so I think that it's almost like there can be a loss of innocence that happens when something really challenging comes upon you. So I think that returning to a time where we did have innocence is comforting because we knew who we were then and yeah. we knew we were safe and sheltered. It's like a little break from the from the drama that has, you know, come into your life and yeah. maybe that's something that allows our stress hormones to calm for a bit. Yeah, it's a return to a shelter of safety. You know, there's something that Sean Cassidy said in our interview that has stuck with me. And he you can tell that he's a little bit skeptical about about nostalgia, but he also has a really good understanding for, of it from a scientific point of view. And he said, 
because we're all going back to, you know, the 70s. We're all going back to the Hardy Boys. When we're talking right. to Sean Cassidy, that's what we're talking about. He's And he says, it's not that the 70s were better. In a lot of ways, the 70s were so much worse than it is right now. It's not a more innocent time. The 70s were not a more innocent time. Yeah. But we were more innocent. Yeah. So we're going back to a time in which we ourselves were more innocent. And that's a really important distinction. Yeah. So that return to innocence, I think, is comforting for people because we knew we felt safe then. We knew yeah. we didn't like worry about our future then. I'm just sort of fascinated that people are actually studying this. There was a segment that was on the Science of Mental Health Spotlight through Science Friday. And what they noted is that during the lockdown and during the pandemic, we a lot of us did that. When we yeah. were sort of sheltered mm-hmm. in our homes, we didn't, it was very uncertain, chock full of uncertainty. We kind of, you know, found ourselves returning to times that made us feel like we had been more innocent. And and they actually showed like some music became like popular again, like Dreams by Fleetwood Mac yes, became very right. popular during that time. And mm-hmm. a lot of things... Um, were kind of television reruns and shows mm-hmm. that people were returning to our old movies. That happened a lot during the pandemic. And it speaks to this whole kind of nostalgic comfort. There's like an emotional protection that comes mm-hmm. to returning to those things. And so. we reached for it instinctually because this is not something people are not consciously going, oh, I'm going to watch Little House on the Prairie because it makes me feel better. Right. And you just have a little itch that you need to scratch. Yeah. And I think I saw a statistic that said, a full 50% of the population, 50% of the people polled said that they were on purpose finding the TV shows from when they were a kid and watching them during the pandemic. Isn't that so interesting? 50%. That's huge. That's a lot of Little House. Like Little House, for an example, it's nostalgia can be couched in things, not just like watching the show, or it can be in, in other things too, like like smells can carry nostalgic mm-hmm. power. And like for me, my dad, um, as a custom home builder, I used to go to job sites with him. And I was a little girl with my dad on these job sites. And I, when I smell lumber to this day, oh. like that smell, it just brings back all these warm memories yeah. of like being with my dad on job sites. And and I brought that up because the Little House song, if I just <laughs> hear that song, it's just like transported yes. back mm-hmm. to just like being in the family room with a floor pillow. I mean, it's just, it really does kind of warm me up. It yeah. Liter- yeah, quite literally even. My husband talks about like being somewhere in the house and hearing that song. And he said you would just drop whatever you were doing and yeah. run to the family room. Yes. It's you a magical run. magnet. It yeah. just brings you right back. Yeah. You talked about like the smell of lumber and things like that. Can you tell me what are some of the first forms of nostalgia that you relied on when you were first diagnosed, whether you were doing it on purpose or whether you were doing it instinctually? So it was, I felt like I'd almost crossed a line from wellness to illness. I really felt like, oh no, I've crossed over to this place I don't want to be. And so um, nostalgia helped me cross back, like remembering the memories that like I said, the floor pillow in the family yeah. room and watching this show. And like, of course, we all remember the smell of our Crayola crayons and my box of 64 crayons. Favorite color was periwinkle, by the way. That Me was too. Was that yours too? Periwinkle and magenta were my two favorites. <sighs> I just think periwinkle is the best mm-hmm. color ever. I think yes. it was the word too. I love the it's word. It's a fun periwinkle. word to say. Yeah. yeah. It was mm-hmm. kind of that purplish blue. Yeah. yeah. Love that. But then, you know, things that were comforting, like I think about my mom's cinnamon toast. And she'd always make it when I like was sick and then I was really sick. And I would have these fond memories of cinnamon toast with the corners cut off and the diagonal cut. My mom made this dinner sometimes called beef in a bundle. And you're never going to guess the secret ingredient, which was cream of mushroom soup. soup. Yeah. (laughs) Always, always makes everything better. But yeah, all of those memories of being in that house, in that sheltered, happy moment of time, I found myself returning to that. So returning to my childhood home with this kind of, as a young adult, with this scary illness, 
really was ripe for trying to remember all these. Well, and very, it's, it's, um, it must have been very complex and confusing too, because it's coming at a time when you were really trying to break free, probably from your childhood home. You're 22 yes. years old. You're, you're, you're like hardcore adulting, like, let's do this. And you get pulled back into your childhood home. So that's probably not where you wanted to be. No, at it felt very t- regressive. I was yeah. really, I had, you know, and I don't know why we take shame on for everything that happens to us, but yeah. I felt kind of ashamed. Here I am, like dependent on my parents, and I desperately wanted to regain my independence. But as acceptance happened and adjustment kind of happened, I I could laugh more heartily about some of the funny nostalgic moments that I remembered. And I, you know, I was keeping track of my dreams and you guys, I cannot tell you how many times I woke up and would write down dreams about Marsha Brady. Like, what, what <laughs> was she doing in my head? Marsha Brady, I dreamed about her all the time for some reason. But I mean, because the Brady Bunch, right? They were embedded yeah. in us. And they were I like actually. In, in your, they're like in your cells. They're like, yes. You, you consume so much Brady Bunch. And Marsha, in particular, probably was like the epitome of normalcy. Yes. And she had her brother, Greg, was one year older. My brother Steve was one year older. So I just really identified with her struggles with Greg. (laughs) And I'd like memorize lines from the show. I mean, this might be the future writer in me or else I was just like the craziest, you know, (laughs) deranged kid. But I would actually like deliver these lines to the the family dinner table. If Steve and I were having some sibling rivalry, I'd like unleash some Marsha Brady line. (laughs) And um, in particular, I remember that she very dramatically said, it's not fair that I should be penalized because I was born one year later than Greg. And I was like, I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that one. Do you still find yourself getting nostalgic at this point in your health journey? Is it still useful to you? Yes. I mean, I, I think it's really fun, actually. I was on a group text with some friends that I've known since kindergarten and first grade. And so I asked them, tell me what you remember, your first concerts, this and that. I realized something, that when you do it with other people, when you kind of rekindle these nostalgic memories with other people, it's it's an amazing connection, yes. you know, mm-hmm. and it's different than doing it by yourself. Like when you do it with other people, you know what it is? It's like we all belong together. It's like we get yeah. to return to a place and we all belong in that place. Like and this happened. Yeah, yeah, it happened. It's so fun. Like, you know, we got into like our Starsky and Hutch crushes and who liked Starsky and who liked Hutch and and. Like there was equal opportunity belonging. Mm-hmm. And so when you're a part of a generation and you all have been through that together and you share it together, like we do with your podcast, that's so fun. So yeah. it was really a fun little text exchange. And it, it just really highlighted for me again, why we should return to nostalgia. Um, it gives us a smile and it gives yeah. us, like you said, it's like a little, um, it's a happy vacation. Whatever joy you get from that little nostalgic moment is amplified when it's shared with somebody who enjoys it just as much as you do. And then back to like chronic illness or Mm -hmm. hardship, I think people sometimes have a tendency to isolate themselves if something really hard or challenging is going on. And that isolation can make things worse. You know, you're kind of stewing in, in your stuff. And this sort of nostalgic togetherness, it kind of rekindles togetherness. And yeah. I think it's really helpful to pull people out of sort of that sense of isolation that they might fall into. It's something to add to your toolbox, everybody. Yeah. Put it in your toolbox. Okay, so we're going to play a game now. And we do this game with all of our guests. But now I'm thinking of this game differently. I'm thinking of this game as something that you can play with other people when you're needing to connect. When you yes. need to connect somebody, here are some questions you can ask each other rapid fire, just like you, you guys, did with your friends. I really recommend it. Like after you hear this, text your friends and ask these questions. And I guarantee you're in for a really fun text message exchange. This will be fun. Okay. This is putting this in your toolbox, everybody. Question number one Jennifer, what was your first concert? Jackson Brown. Jackson Brown. I don't hear that one very often. Did you I go know. with your parents? No, my friend Liz set, texted me back and said, I went to Jackson Brown with my first concert and it was with you. And I was <gasps> like, 
wow, was that my first concert? You know, I had Jackson Brown and I had Tom Petty and I had Bruce Springsteen Mm -hmm. and I didn't know what the order was exactly. You had a type, I can see. Yes, that's mm-hmm. what we were. Yeah, Jackson I still Brown, love Tom, Bruce, Bruce Springsteen, Springsteen. By the way, Bruce Springsteen and I are still close, <laughs> so I'm still a fan. What was your first concert? Prince, Purple Rain. Oh yes, Prince was a. Great and I went twice. One. I went twice. Yeah, Prince was on mm-hmm. my list. Prince is definitely in there. Loved him. Okay, second question. Okay, what was your favorite TV show when you were in elementary school? Okay. Well, I have to ask you about this. Okay, okay, so first I thought of, like, maybe this was preschool. I don't know. I thought of Sesame Street because it's the greatest oh, sure. show ever. But when was the Brady Bunch? Was that later? So it was only on from, like, 1969 until 1974, I believe. That's when it would, would have been on once a week in prime time. And that yeah. doesn't get into your cells. The yeah. thing that gets into your cells is watching it every day after school. For That's years it. Years and years and That's years. That's it. Okay. Every day. So you've clarified that for me because yes. I was confused about that. But yeah, I had to say the Brady Bunch because I am yeah. always dreaming of Marsha Brady. So, <laughs> <laughs> what posters did you have on your walls? Well, you're not going to be surprised if I say Bruce Springsteen. But I also remember Cindy Crawford was on the cover of some magazine, mm-hmm. and I saw it, and I was like. I was so enamored with her, and I just, I had a picture of her on my wall as my... uh, Aspirational. Aspirational. Yeah. Okay, what was your first album? Okay, Billy Joel, The Stranger. Moving out. Yeah, moving out. And you know what I did? I did um, choreographed dances to that album in my living room. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I would do these lovely, like, flip around dances, kind of... Dramatic. They yeah. would be very serious then. Yeah, this is not like you're yes. not going to boogie down in the living no, room. This is a serious was, interpretive dance. Serious choreography. Okay. But you know what? I did have a different answer, but I was uh, too afraid to say it, but I'm going to anyway. Okay. I think I, was, I think I was 10. I wanted Captain and Tiniella. Love will keep us together. And my cousins gave it to me, and they were older. They were like I was like 10 and they were like teenagers and I knew that they didn't approve because they liked like Elton John and cool music. And so I said, I'm really embarrassed that I wanted this album, but I really did. And they're like, you can like any kind of music you want. It's okay. Jennifer Kramer Miller, thank you so much for being with us today. Your book, Incurable Optimist, is for everybody. And we can all go back in time and put something in our toolbox to make us feel better when we're having difficult times. I am so delighted to have joined you today. This was like a dream come true. You guys are amazing women doing amazing things, and I'm just so glad to be a part of it today. Ah, thanks. Muskrat Susie, Muskrat Sam, do the jitterbug out in Muskrat Land and a shimmy. Sam is so skinny. So I think it's really interesting how Jennifer offered up a number of things that she thought of as nostalgia, because I'm always going to the music and the TV, but she was like, no, beef in a bundle, <laughs> cinnamon toast. <laughs> I know, right? And actually some of the things she said sparked like joy in me. I was like, cinnamon yeah. toast, of course, my mother's cinnamon yes. toast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say though... Um, after listening to um, you, your conversation, um, it just, I was thinking that some people might come to this with a little bit of a different perspective because when she says that there can be a loss of innocence when something challenging happens to you, and speaking about the importance of turning to a time when we can have innocence and comfort um, and we knew we were safe and sheltered, we didn't worry about our futures. I just like to say that I know that there are kids out there who did not feel safe and sheltered in their in their childhood, in their spaces and in their futures. I am deaf. I'm not talking about myself, by the way. I know that some of you are thinking you are. I'm not. I felt safe and sheltered. Mm-hmm. But I just want to say that I feel like instead of going back to that time for those people, that I would say that it's the things, the characters, the songs, the stories, those were the things that provided the security and safety then for those children. Mm -hmm. And that these now adults, those are the things that they return to in times of stress and discomfort. I feel like one thing that um, wasn't mentioned was that there are a whole bunch of people out there that 
can't go back to a time mom made them cinnamon toast. But what they can yeah. go back to is Ma and Pa Ingalls. And just to clarify too, she does say in the interview, I'm sure you heard where she's like, um, if you were lucky, you were sheltered and you were yeah. cared for. Yeah. So she realizes her privilege and she states it quite frankly in her book also. But there's an, there's another story that speaks exactly to that, Michelle. Um, there's a woman named um, Janine who grew up in the Philippines during martial law. And she talks mm-hmm. about about how her love of Sean Cassidy comes from the fact that for some reason the censors allowed the Hardy Boys to be shown on TV. Yes. And this was the only thing that she had that made her feel like a normal teenager. And so she returns to the Hardy Boys now because it reminds her of that one good thing. Yes. That one good thing when mm-hmm. everything around her was so unpredictable and right. uncertain and, cri- and terrifying, actually. For sure. Yep. sure. Yeah. Sure. That's a great example. I remember that story. Mm-hmm. I loved I loved that story. Well, the part that really struck me um, in Jennifer's conversation with you, Kristen, was um, how she talked about what it was like to connect with the friends and the people that she had these experiences with. And she talks about the text thread that she had. And um, that just struck me because I feel like for me personally, that's been such a joy of this journey, whether it's connecting with you guys that we mm-hmm. had similar experiences or reconnecting with an old friend or my sister about something. It's just there is this joy that comes with um, not just the remembering, but the sharing of that yes. nostalgic moment. And and new friends, too. This is a way that n- p- people are finding new friends in their 50s. We have mm-hmm. two listeners right now who um, found each other in our comments on Instagram, started bonding over the episodes together, and will now be launching their own podcast about music from the 80s and mm-hmm. 90s. Right? They found kinship. They found like a soulmate. They found friends in nostalgia. I mean, I have chills again, because honestly, I think in another life, I was like a matchmaker or something when I know that I played a little part in these friendships. And how exciting is that, you guys? Mm-hmm. I mean, we are. I know. We're people. the facilitator. Just, yeah. We're their sure. A us. whole new, people are finding a whole new support system. Exactly. exactly. And they're age mates, right? Because that is, we can support each other in a different way when we're age mates. And because we've all been through the same thing together. Well, I love how she said that nostalgia stabilizes us in times of transition. And mm-hmm. I was really curious about how that happens and kind of the science behind some of these things we've talked about, that feel-good mm-hmm. experience. And research has shown how nostalgia counteracts loneliness, boredom, and anxiety. It actually makes people more generous to strangers and tolerant of outsiders. Research has wow. um, proven this. Time Magazine published a piece titled, Six Ways to Tap into Nostalgia and Why You Should. And it actually outlined some of the science behind why nostalgia can be so powerfully positive in our lives. And I have a new best friend out of this. His name is Clay Routledge. He is an existential psychologist, which doesn't that sound pretty cool? So he spends a lot of time doing exactly what I was looking for someone to do, researches Mm -hmm. the science behind nostalgia. And he says, it serves a crucial existential function. It brings to mind cherished experiences that assure us we are valued people who have meaningful lives. Some of the research shows that people who regularly engage in nostalgia are better at coping with concerns about death. Oh, wow. Wow. That's deep. Hmm. I mean, super deep. I love, though, how he said that. What that brought to mind, the first part of that quote, was that... Especially for people who might find themselves getting older, and I'm not even necessarily mm-hmm. talking mm-hmm. about our generation. We could go into the boomers or, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. and maybe they, they're feeling lonely or alone. Reliving some of this nostalgia through listening to a podcast about it or reading a book about it, it almost puts a timestamp on like, I was there and I mattered. Mm-hmm. And I remember yes, this. Right. I was there this was and important. I was part of something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. That's um, part about being valued. Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, in the article, is quoted as saying, um, originally, he thought that the best way to think about nostalgia is that it's the psychological defense mechanism. When life is cert- uncertain and unstable, we look to the certainty and comfort of the past, and that makes us feel better. And he said, yes, that is all definitely true. But he's also discovered something. He has learned that there can be a looking ahead aspect to nostalgia, with hmm. I, which I thought was incredibly Ironically. interesting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
He said, when people share nostalgic memories, many are future-oriented. For example, someone might say, when I was a kid, I spent summers with my grandmother, and she's no longer with us, and that makes me sad. But I cherish that time in my life, and it inspires me to create memories with my own family. Oh, so, it's full circle, guys. Yes, it's motivating. It is. It's mm-hmm. looking backwards, but it's because you want ideas for how to move forward. Uh huh. I love okay, him. That's don't we? That's love a him? very important distinction. Yes, that's important. And does he, he know about our podcast? About well, I yeah. think so. He follows us now. Um. On Twitter, and I hope to maybe get him on because um, he has a book coming out in December, oh, and we'll include that. a link in our weekly reader. And it's called "How Nostalgia Can Help You Live a More Meaningful Life." <gasps> Past forward. Oh my God! So I love this him with the word the play. Key. Yes, yes. Chad is our I man, is or not Chad? It's not his name. <laughs> Clay, Clay is our man. Clay. Yeah. Yes. I feel amazing? like I feel like so he's the scientist. Um yes. he's the doctor behind all of this. And what the three of us are doing is taking his message and spreading it. We're, yes. we're the purveyors. We are. Yes. We need to have yeah. he needs to be part of the PCPS. Yes, we are. He definitely, needs to be our official, our official. He's our in-house researcher. I think so. Oh, that would be I can't wait to read that awesome. book. I love it, Carolyn. Thank you. I really like the part about um making you feel like a valued person mm-hmm. because one of the reasons I agreed to do this with you, Carolyn, is because I had been increasingly feeling invisible. I felt like when I would mention things from my childhood, I'd get blank looks from people. And there is nothing that makes you feel smaller than having people not acknowledge that you're speaking. And I felt my references going unnoticed or nobody cared. They didn't know who Marsha Brady was. And that's why, because these were younger people. And I felt smaller and smaller and smaller. And I was like, this is wrong. These things that I watched, I know we're just talking about Marsha Brady, but at the same time, that was meaningful to me and it happened. Uh Don't pretend it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. It's like they were gaslighting me. And so I knew there were people out there who did remember Marsha Brady and for whom she was an important person. Hello, Jennifer. And I (laughs) needed to connect with those people in order to raise the vibration of our memories. It's like the people younger than us were pushing our memories aside to make room for their memories. And I was like, stay on your own side. Mm -hmm. Let me have my memories because those were important. So it does, when you get together with the, all these relationships that we're talking about when we're finding people, those are all places where we're feeling more valued. Mm -hmm. Right. And like I said, it's when you, it's when you find that connection and those memories, it, it puts a timestamp on your, on that part of your life. And you can say, I was there, I mattered, this mattered to me. Um, and, 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 you know, this is a Gen X podcast, but like you just said, the younger people were pushing our memories out. We certainly don't ever want to do that to the boomers' memories no, or anything. Right. No, anyway, or to the, or to the younger saying, people either. Right, yeah. right, right. And they all can kind of overlap. I mean, this nostalgia is important, um, you know, cross generations. Um, right. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a battle of generations. No. It's just an acknowledgement that everybody has something to say and it's important. Mm-hmm. Don't pretend that the things that they have to say are irrelevant because I'm sure your kids have done this to you where they're like, mom, people don't do that anymore. Oh. And I'm like, I'm people. Oh. My friends are people. How are, if we're all doing it, if my people are doing uh-huh. it, how is it that no one's doing it? Uh-huh. And so or, now he's yeah. been trained to say people my age don't do that. Can you come train my kids? I yeah, I know. Right? Well, no, really we, I'm people. Right, right. Or we get that our, our girls look at each other and do an eye roll. Yeah. When we say things that apparently Take it we outside, don't say, girls. we don't say anymore. One of the things I really loved about this Time um, Magazine article was they gave us some concrete things that we could do to help kind of um, ignite this nostalgia. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just wanted to share a couple of those because I thought they were really interesting and there's some science behind them. Um, in one case, it's to watch old movies. And there is a molecular biologist by the name of John Medina who loves nostalgia. And he said, if there's a serious thing that happens in your head, in your brain, when you are watching an old movie that's nostalgic to you because it triggers the release of dopamine. And so he makes it a point of watching an hour a day of nostalgic TV, like Disney oh movies that he and his mom enjoyed together when he was growing up. And um, and that's how he helps kind of keep that connection going. Mm-hmm. That wow. might be cheaper than drugs. 
It's an antidepressant. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Oh, my uh -huh. God. He also talked about um, dining like you did as a kid. Food nostalgia has a way of bringing comfort to people and reminds them of their past when they were experiencing feelings of isolation. That doesn't make Cinnamon sense. Cinnamon toast. Yes. Ding-dongs. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, okay. So, other couple of few that I thought were really cool, visit your local library and look Go to the children's section and <gasps> yes! look at the children's books. And one woman did that with her future husband. That was like a date. They went to the local That's library adorable. to the children's section. And I loved that part. And, and can I just yes. add something there? Because I think, I, of course, have written a middle grade novel and adults are reading this middle grade novel and they're finding themselves in it. But I'm not just saying read my book. Right. I'm saying read the books from your childhood and don't feel funny about this. I think people assume, well, that's not written for me, so I won't enjoy it. No, you'll enjoy it even more. Add on the nostalgia factor. Mm -hmm. But then I think people will think, well, what will people say? What will the librarian say? What will they think when I'm checking it out? What will the bookseller think when I'm buying it? The bookseller won't think anything because they read it last week. Yeah. Right. Readers read books from their childhood. Right. Well, look at the enjoyment and the different insights we just recently got by rereading. Then again, maybe I won't. Yes. And I think one of the most important things to add to that that I took away from my conversation with Jennifer was the idea that we can create a toolbox, a therapeutic toolbox full of nostalgic things that we can access when we need them, whether we're just having a bad day and you need to queue up some Eric Estrada, or if you're facing a true crisis, we can give ourselves permission to dip into that well of nostalgia that is scientifically, like you said, proven to have mm -hmm. healing properties. So that is what we three are going to do right now. The three of us have created our pop culture therapy toolboxes, and we're going to share them with you. Now that we know that this can legitimately soften the edges of a difficult time, let's be prepared. So Michelle, would you like to share mm -hmm. what's in your toolbox? Sure. Let me open it up. <laughs> oh, the latch is stuck. Okay, I got it. Um, okay, the absolute number one item in my toolbox, something that um, helps me every single day. I'm not kidding. Um, you know how you just said, Carolyn, somebody watches a Disney movie an hour mm -hmm. every single day? And my first thought was, how does he have time for that? This is something that at least one song comes into a playlist every single day. When I am stressed, overwhelmed, life, you know life is just too much. I listen to the Carpenters and it could be one song. It could be top of the world. If I'm feeling kind of peppy or if I need a pep me up, it could be, I need to be in love. If I'm feeling a little sad, it could be the whole freaking Carpenters radio on Spotify. It could be an album, but there is a bit of Carpenters in my day every day. Um, and that's, I just said, I listen to when I'm stressed or overwhelmed. So that tells you a lot about my, my days. Um, <laughs> When I need to pick me up, I will often turn to 80s pop, wham, culture club, Duran Duran, power ballads that I can wail loudly to, that I can dance to. Give me some Whitney Houston and let me, you know, dance. So music to me is probably the number one tool in my box. Um, I would also say TV, very happy and predictable old shows that I can go back to, like Family Ties, Little House on the Prairie, Eight is Enough. But you guys, it's the theme songs, and we just talked about this recently. Mm -hmm. The theme songs to those shows as much as the show. I bet we've been together for a million years. And I bet we'll be together for a million more. Oh, it's like I started breathing on the night we kissed. And I can't remember what I ever did before. What would we do, baby? And then if we're talking about movies, I can't say that's another tool in my box is old movies. But I'm going to tell you, I'm not sure if it's the movies or if it's the characters that oh, is the yeah. tool for me. For instance, um, just because they, they've become friends by now, is it Hope Floats or is it Bertie and Bernice Pruitt and Justin Matisse and her mother Ramona? These are people that I find comfort in. Um, is it the movie While You Were Sleeping that I will watch every week? Or is it Lucy and Jack? I don't know, right? Is it mm -hmm. is it the characters or at the story? Is it Andy and Ducky? Is it Baby and Johnny? Or is it Pretty and Pink or Dirty Dancing? Um, I really think that the tool might be the character for me mm -hmm. because it's a friend. Um, mm -hmm. It's um, someone I want. I would want to be friends with. Someone I feel familiar with. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
for sure. And then just a couple last tools in my toolbox. Stickers are in my toolbox. I love oh. stickers, you guys. I have a bin in my desk that is a, a totally full of stickers. And I sometimes in my journal or in my daily planner, there might be two or three stickers or I might forget to use them at all. I guarantee you those are weeks when I was feeling great. Everything was fine. Sometimes if you flip, you can barely see any of my writing because I have stickers and washi tape. And that is a tool for me because I loved stickers and I loved decorating as a kid. And so I really feel that when I look back and I see lots of stickers, it's because maybe I was having a a bad week. That's kind of a telltale sign for me. Um, and then thanks to Jennifer, I added cinnamon toast to my toolbox. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and my mom made it in a really special way. I'm going to tell you, it's the way I made it for my kids and she did too. Instead of doing like butter and you sprinkle cinnamon and sugar, you butter the bread, you put then a whole bunch of sugar, then cinnamon separately, not together, and put it under the broiler. And what oh. happens to that cinnamon, sugar, and butter when it broils together is it makes almost a crust on your bread. So it's crunchy when you bite into it. Okay, that is You're special. Welcome. I know what I'm I doing. hate the word special, but that is truly special. <laughs> that is that is a nostalgic throwback that people are going to be able to. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm gonna close up, up my box now. You're... Close it up. Okay. okay, put it away, Carolyn. What's in your toolbox? Well, I'm going to open up mine, and um, while while Michelle wasn't looking, I stole a couple things out of hers. So. Oh. Um, uh, yes, the music, totally. And mm-hmm. oh my gosh, the Carpenters, my experience of um, listening to that with my dad is so powerful. And that's been a surprise in this whole podcast adventure, how close I feel to my dad who died, um, gosh, over 20 years ago. But that Carpenters is just one of those things. And in the Time article, it talked about how music was important. And it talked about not just listening, but the creating of the playlists. The act of being actively involved in that creation even provides another level of um, dopamine and all of that. It's not just the listening, but it is the curating of the actual list, which I thought that was super interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, Also, like we just said, was uh, reading books, going back and Mm. reading some of those childhood books or books I read as a, a middle schooler, high schooler, brings me back totally. It's Do you have a specific I was wondering that too. Is there a title? Mm -hmm. For picture books, I'll just like going through those. Those are easy and Mm -hmm. and fun to just pull out. I've got a whole shelf behind me Mm -hmm. right here where I could pull um, one out. The little house. Um, Yeah, the little house. I mean, Tiki Tiki Tembo, all of that. And again, Mm -hmm. it's the the book, but it's all the things that happened while I was reading the book, where Mm -hmm. I was, who was Mm -hmm. reading it to me. Um, That's just brings such warmth and joy. Those were always such happy times. Um, Scrolling Pinterest. I mean, let's face it, social media and uh, technology has its gifts, and that is one of them. You can just put in 1970s, and I mean, I can just even feel myself (laughs) inhale as I start to see some of these things. Sure, I get a lot of ideas for social media because you get those (gasps) moments, yeah. Right. I mean, that's another boost that we get from doing this podcast is when we do this research and you put something like that in Pinterest and yeah, your your mind is blown. Um, but what's really important to me and something I really make a point of doing is connecting with others. So my sister and I have a text thread, of course, because of the podcast, something will come up and I'll immediately text her Mm -hmm. about it. And when she remembers it and sees it, it's that value again, Kristen, maybe of this sense of, oh my gosh, you remember it too. And you remember what we were doing. And another social media benefit, there's a high school class of 1983 from Bishop Eustace Facebook page. And I can go on there and put a picture of our, you know, our unitard gym suit that I've talked about. (laughs) And then whoosh, I mean, the comments, everybody remember this, remember when, you know, Mr. Ungaro, our PE teacher would do this. And it's just this um, kind of tsunami of other people's memories. And then they're connecting with each other. And it just brings a whole nother level of joy to the experience. Mm -hmm. So Kristen, it's now time for you to open your toolbox. Share with us what's in there. Can't wait to hear. All right. All right. Okay. So here, here is what I was thinking in terms of my, my toolbox. There are different purposes for each one of these things. You might need something to uplift you. You might need something to distract you. You might need something to help you process or purge. Like you might need to cry to mm-hmm. get something or to help you process memories. So here are the things that I put in my pop culture therapy toolbox. Number one, anything involving anyone from the Gibb family. Any era, 
Any, any gib. brother will do. Any gib. From Fanny B. Tender to Nights on Broadway, Shadow Dancing, Love is Thicker Than Water, Do It in Your Neighbor's Butt, all of it. Do It in Your Neighbor's Butt, of course, is code. That's, that's our misheard lyric for You Should Be Dancing. What do they even say? We don't know. We just no, think they're no. saying do it in New your neighbor's butt. New listeners, though, that was necessary yeah. for you. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. The little disclaimer. And I will say that listening to any gib on vinyl amps up the nostalgia factor by 11. Okay, the second thing in my toolbox, the monkeys. Full episodes are on YouTube, but it's mostly the musical montages that I need. That mm-hmm. is a thing that kind of puts me in this little cocoon of, um, you know, I, I write about crushes, right? And the monkeys is where I first discovered that fascination where you can't take your eyes off the screen and you have a funny feeling in your tummy, mm-hmm. as Michelle would say. And so when I watch those musical montages, it's the it's the quintessential happiness. It's like I'm feeling happy and sad at the same time. I want to reach out and touch Davy's bare chest. Not now, of course. The eight-year-old me wants to touch his bare chest, but she doesn't know why. She has no idea why she wants to do that. Um, Schoolhouse Rock. Mm-hmm. You can find Schoolhouse Rock on Disney Plus and YouTube. I get very similar feelings from Schoolhouse Rock. It's that happy, sad. I'm just yes. so, I can oh. sing along. I have, there's a little bit of longing in my heart and pure, pure joy. And it might make me cry. It, even verb, that's what's happening. That might make me cry. Yeah. And that feels really good. Blossom Deary, for sure, will make you cry. Blossom yes. Deary, my Yay. goodness. You, yeah, she's the one who sung so many of those songs, including Figure Eight, which will bring a tear to your eye. Figure Eight is double four. Figure Four is half of eight. If you skate, you would be great. If you could make a figure eight. Listening to Free to Be You and Me. Mm-hmm. Well, and I don't, I don't think I need to say anything more. You all know what I'm talking about. I like to listen to America's Top 40, the Casey Kasem version, the vintage mm-hmm. broadcast of American Top 40, mm-hmm. which you probably have heard on Sirius XM, 70s on 7, but you can also um, listen to it live on, not live live, but they have <laughs> on, um, iHeartLive.com has an ongoing broadcast of America's Top 40. Casey Kasem's voice and that going back to that anticipation that I had where I'm trying to guess what the next song is. And I always play this game with Mike where I'm like, where it's the number two song mm-hmm. and it, they're going to announce the number one song. And I'm like, it's shadow dancing. I know, I know. I, but it's shadow dancing. <laughs> I can tell it's shadow dancing. And he could not care less, <laughs> but I am so gratified when I get it right. It feels so good. Um, for TV, I'm going straight to Mary Tyler Moore. And it's mm-hmm. just like you said, Michelle, the theme song, the theme song alone makes me feel loved and cared for. I could listen to that all day long. And lastly, this is a song that many of you may not know, but I'm going to ask you to go listen to it and just put this into your toolbox. The song Light of a Clear Blue Morning by Dolly Parton from her 1977 album New Harvest First Gathering. I'm not going to tell you the specifics because I still this still makes me cry, but this song got me through something horrible. Really horrible. It has to do with the fact that my city was on fire and an innocent man had been murdered in public. And every morning I would go across the street and I would listen to Dolly Parton. And the first words of that song are, It's been a long, dark night. It's been a long, dark night. And I've been waiting for the morning. And then the refrain starts with, it's going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. And she says it really softly. By the end of the song, it's a full-on dance party of Dolly Parton singing, everything is going to be okay. That song has saved me so many times.
So it turns out that a lot of you have found us by way of difficulty and heartache. And we welcome that. We want to be here for you because it means that the thing we're doing, not just us, but this whole community is more important than we initially thought it could be. It means that you don't have to be so serious to make a difference in someone's life when they need it. It also means that solace isn't as hard to find as we think. Maybe the best thing you can do for a friend in need is to make them a playlist. Or if you're having a difficult time, it might be time to binge Little House on the Prairie on MeTV. Or text a friend who will go down memory lane with you to boost the serotonin levels that much more. Text your sister and say, remember that hot dish mom used to make when we had company? Make that hot dish, but more importantly, make the list. Fill your toolbox today. And to quote one of my go-to comfort movies, get ready to take a vacation from your problems. That's what about Bob? (laughs) A big thank you to Jennifer Kramer Miller, author of Incurable Optimist, for being our special guest. And thank you for listening. We will see you all again next week. And did you know that even just signing up for the Weekly Reader, our weekly newsletter, could be a source of nostalgic healing for you because it's full of links and YouTube clips of all of the things that we watched and listened to as kids. Some will make you laugh, some will make you cry, but they will all bring you back to a time when your life was a little simpler and possibly more secure. This week, we'll send a link to Jennifer's book, Incurable Optimist, and we'll also include her mom's recipe to that beef in a bundle, one of the many things that lifted her up and brought her comfort on her long journey to better health. You can sign up by visiting our website at poppreservationist.com or going to that link in bio on Instagram. And our Patreon members are the ones who lift us up, providing monthly monetary support to keep our podcast up and running. And it's no accident that so many of our Patreon supporters found us when they were struggling and turning to nostalgia and our conversations to help them through it. Today, we are giving a special thank you to patrons Susie, Lydia, Mel, Stephanie, Colleen, Darby, Melissa, Julie, Heather, Jennifer, And Pam. And lastly, if you've read Worldwide Crush and you liked it, I really need your help in beefing up my reviews online. No matter where you bought your book, you can leave a review on that big online retailer in the sky. Even just one sentence is super helpful because this is how my book gets shown to more people just like the podcast, actually. And we'd love to see you at our virtual book club coming up on November 14th. You can sign up in our newsletter and in our link tree on Instagram. In the meantime, let's raise our glasses for a toast, courtesy of the cast of Three's Company. Two good times. Two happy days. To Little House on the Prairie. And a big fat thank you to Dolly Parton. Cheers. 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 The information, opinions, and comments expressed on the Pop Culture Preservation Society podcast belong solely to Carolyn, the Crushologist, and Hello Newman, and are in no way representative of our employers or affiliates. And though we truly believe we are always right, there is always a first time. The PCPS is written, produced, and recorded in Minneapolis, Minnesota, home of the fictional WJM Studios and our beloved Mary Richards. Nanu Nanu, keep on trucking, and may the force be with you.